Hello, uh, I'm with Scott Scherrera again, and we're going to be talking about a lot of stuff that's been going on in Wisconsin legal system uh, with the cases of what's been happening with the deadly protocols from hospitals and doctors, and now those cases are coming up to the courts. And Scott did in his own podcast a wonderful analysis of what's been uh, the decisions from Wisconsin Supreme Court, and that's going to be decided probably another month or so, but I wanted him to talk about what the impact is, what's been going on, what they've been discussing in terms of standard of care, and what they're going to be eventually doing probably in all courts all over the country, trying to develop a standard of care, and who are they going to really vote for? Are they going to side with the people, or are they going to side with the government? So that's what we're going to be talking about. Hi, Scott. Great to see you. Yeah, great to see you again. So I know you've done a couple of analysis on the Supreme Court case, and, and I've only followed a little bit, and I saw a couple of clips, but I was hoping uh, maybe you can refresh me and the audience on what's been going on and what your take is. Well, I, you know, I think we'll start with the case, but then expanding it to the 30,000 foot view so people can see how we got here, I think is is critical because the case you know, you think about a case like this, it should never even have got here. How is it even possible that that a court is deciding what's more important, the hospital's standard of care, which has become the government standard of care, or an individual's okay. right to life and autonomy over his own body? You know, that's hardly even, you can't even um, wrap your head around how it's at the Wisconsin Supreme Court level. So, I mean, just a brief background on the case uh, John Zingsheim went into the hospital in September of 2021. They told him he's going to die. He, they put him on remdesivir and a ventilator. Of course, the standard of care, that's the protocol. And, you know, the family was wise to that. His power of attorney, his nephew stepped in and said, no, we don't want this. We want ivermectin. The hospital refused. The circuit court decided with the family rightly. And the hospital unbelievably appealed that decision and won. And that's why it's at the Supreme Court level. Um, so, I mean, anytime you go to court, it's a crapshoot. So any of any people who think that, you know, my day in court is my chance for justice, my chance for truth. Um, well, you know why the hospital, the, uh, the reason why the hospital appealed, because they would be open for numerous lawsuits, not just even that hospital, but every hospital who is following all these CDC and governmental protocols. So they, they really had to, right? No, um, you're right. They had to appeal for the national interest of the agenda to proceed. That's that's right, right on. Right. Yeah, I mean, because we already know just from your podcast and your story and many people that you encountered, how many of them had the same story, you know, wanting to get on these ventilators, uh, rendezvous and intubation, all of these, those are all standard stuff. So imagine how many people have died, including your own daughter, that, you know, we're talking probably in the million, right? It's got to be more than that. That Well, I mean, the official death count with COVID murders in the hospital is 1.1 million. So, um, you know, I would say the lion's share of those were related to following protocols that were designed to kill people. You know, yeah. so when I say the lion's shares, it has to be in, in excess of 90%. Oh, you know, so sure. yeah. in the neighborhood of a million people have been murdered. Right. And, 
you know, I, I think this hospital lane, I mean, my, I'm in the hospital lane. That's really all I do. This yeah. hospital lane isn't getting much attention because they have used the vaccine lane for all the attention. Why? Because if people honestly knew that doctors and nurses are murdering people in a hospital, uh, I mean, it, the our country would be up in arms. Uh, so yeah, and it's still quiet. It's relatively quiet, this lane that we're in, um, other than people in alternative media. Well, that's why I'm grateful that you're talking about it and bringing that to attention. I mean, a part of it, I think it just has to do with uh, when it becomes an individual problem, they don't necessarily know where to go, how to voice it to the masses, where something like the the, the COVID shots you know, like it's going to impact everybody, whether they have to take it for work or not or whatever. So, but I also think that this is not just limited to COVID protocols. It's all protocols. And we just don't know the amount of death because if they're incentivized to, you know, especially when we talked last time, it could be up to a million dollars, right? To per person. Right. What product do you know that can make $1 million off of one individual? Nothing, not even cars or houses or anything like that, except for these medical-related incentivized care. Or you, of course, you're right on, and and the fact is they have been incentivizing. We just didn't know. Yeah. Or we, you know, we did kind of know, but I mean, this is direct with with the COVID situation under the public health emergency. They are making direct payments to hospitals to follow protocols that kill people with immunity from liability. That's what the public health emergency does. But to to go off on a just a brief rabbit trail because we start getting then out to a little bit broader view. And I think that's important so people understand this has nothing to do with COVID. COVID is simply the the excuse they're using to unleash an agenda that has been set in motion and and actively for years. So just, you know, they're poisoning our food, as an example. Um, they introduced cancer to our society in the 1920s. Okay, so this has been going on for a long time, but as it applies to incentivizing, I want to connect those dots. And I learned this uh, after I, I uh, was diagnosed with heart disease. So five and a half years ago, I was diagnosed with heart disease. So when you get diagnosed with that, what the medical profession does is, you know, they they make it all fearful, the same thing they do with COVID. And then you got to do this, you got to do that. We got we to get you on this drug, that drug. I mean, I left the first appointment after the diagnosis with a prescription for a statin. And I never fulfilled, I never filled it because I started thinking, I don't, I don't believe in meds. So what's yeah. going on here? What caused my heart disease? Right. And so then instead of just taking the lipid panel that they did in the doctor's office, I hired somebody to do a complete screening so that I could understand and get my arms around what I have and what caused it. So then I went back to the doctor and this doctor that I have as the primary care, he was decent. He said, you know, what you found out about yourself is 10 years ahead of what I know. Yeah. And so I was, and he said, so as you progress, um, you know, just, just let me know what you need. And so he was fantastic. He ordered all the tests that I wanted based on my own research. I didn't have to go in and, and uh, have him, you know, pay, pay a big bill every time to get a test. But ultimately, how I learned, what I learned is the nurse pulled me aside and she said, Scott, I want to tell you something you're not going to want to hear. 
I said, okay, tell me. And she said, the reason we are pushing you to get on these meds is because our reimbursement rates as a medical facility, because we accept Medicare and Medicaid patients, is our reimbursement rates for our clinic is based on what percentage of our patients we get to follow protocols, whether you're on Medicare or Medicaid or not. So they literally had to have me take the statin drug to have it count in their percentages for their reimbursement rate for the government. Yeah, that's so, totally so, sad and true because they, they do this with any sort of health problem. They want you to get on drugs and then that's how they make their money. So this is, so they are incentivizing. So yeah. it just isn't as brazen as what we're seeing with COVID, but this has been going on for a long time. And now with COVID, if we just, you know, COVID is, is, um, was the excuse to do all kinds of things. And one of the things it did, hardly anybody knows this yet. I've only shared it, I think, on one program. Uh, during COVID, the number of people that went on Medicare and Medicaid. So before COVID, there were 62 million Americans on Medicare and Medicaid. After COVID, would you think the number went up or down? You know, most people would think it went down because they killed a bunch of people. The elderly and disabled were the number one and number two causes of death in a hospital with COVID. So they reduced the population on Medicare and Medicaid, but the number went up to 100 million. There's wow. a 38 million increase in Americans on Medicare and Medicaid. Okay, so that is by design. So now you would think, well, yeah, they do that for the votes, right? No, they, they don't need the votes anymore. The elections are rigged. So yeah. it isn't about it isn't about votes. It right. is about in we they want to increase that population group because their stated excuse for all of this is medical costs are out of control. When you go back to Obamacare. <clears throat> the chief architect for Obamacare was Ezekiel Emanuel. And in his perspective of the world is we've got to control costs. And I'm going to read from a quote of his. So I've got it here. Um, he quoted in, so this is from 1996, quote, services provided to individuals who are irreversibly prevented from being or becoming participating citizens are not basic and should not be guaranteed. So now we have that as the platform with Obamacare. On November 23rd, the Health and Human Services Secretary passed unilaterally, it's the equivalent of law, another, or a new, not another, but a new death panel under Obamacare. So now we have 100 million Americans that are suspect because they're not contributing members of society. We have the new death panels in place. I see the hospital killing lane getting exposed. And this happened in Nazi Germany. When, when the hospitals were exposed for killing the disabled, the government empowered individual doctors and nurses to do it on their own. And so I see that's going to happen. The nursing homes are going to get incentivized. Hospice care is going to get incentivized because they have the stated agenda reduce cost but the the you know the that's the stated agenda in the public you and i know the real agenda is population reduction and you know they they set it up i mean they have done they have crossed the t's and dotted the i's to set up the next phase which is unfortunate and this is all part of the sustainable development goals 2030 i think they're trying to internationalize uh, healthcare to the same standard. So 
somebody in a village somewhere, they think they can go to their doctor and get independent care. They're not. They're going to get the same kind of stuff that we're experiencing here, corporatized care. So what should people do? Because, you know, the scary lane is like everyone's going to get sick at some point, even if you're aware that something is could be off or wrong and you know you could say no to drugs but when you're in an emergency situation and you don't have especially if you're older or vulnerable or even you know you don't have a big team of friends and family around you to protect your rights what happens when you need critical care and they're just going to follow their protocol and now the courts are getting involved where they're going to protect that system they're not going to protect the people unless there's enough people you know even if you had like 10,000 cases of lawsuits that are fighting for the individual rights you know your own autonomy your own right to make your own medical decisions unless overwhelmingly like the amount of people go out and make this happen I don't see that uh, the Supreme Court is going to come back with anything in favor of people well, I uh, I certainly hope you're wrong on that, but I I get it. I mean, the the trend is um, liberal or conservative. You know, they're all in they're all in in bed together. So yeah. you know, even though in Wisconsin it's a four three conservative majority, you know, big deal. It's still anybody's bet. But you asked the question: How can be people be prepared? Yeah. And I. I want to be very specific. So the absolute number one thing you can do to be prepared is you have to change your paradigm. And so the paradigm that, you know, a doctor would never do this. He's following the Hippocratic Oath. He's bound by the Hippocratic Oath. Whatever your current belief system is, if you don't crumble that up and throw it out, you don't have a prayer. So now let's assume that you did that. So now you said, okay, I get it. These hospitals, doctors, medical facilities have become extensions of the government. Their goal is to follow a collectivism standard of care because they, under the guise of reducing costs, they're trying to reduce the population. So that's your new paradigm. So now what do you do with that? So you first have to get to the new paradigm. Uh, what I did personally, uh, the beginning of December, I found a local clinic that um, a doctor started that didn't want to be part of the system. And I vetted that clinic, talked with the doctor who founded it personally, and I set up an appointment, even though I didn't need need anything. I just wanted to get in their system. So I have a clinic who I can rely on if I get sick. Well, and so... Great. Over Christmas, I did get sick, and I was down for six days, two days in bed where I couldn't talk. And the nurse, uh, she brought me an oxygen generator. Uh, She got me a prescription for a steroid, um, uh, budesonide, uh, hydroxychloroquine, ivermectin. I had everything right away, uh, locally. So, I mean, that was fantastic. The... um, you know, so I would encourage anybody to do that. So then you start looking at what's the next level deep. Well, you know, if if you get in a car accident, that would presumably be the worst case scenario. So let's just talk about that. So you're in a car accident, you've lost control of everything, right? So I believe the responsible thing to do is before the event happens, 
get your documents in order. There's never been a document that could save a person's life. However, you've got to get the medical directives document in order beforehand. You also need to, on Grace's website, I have a link to unvaccinated blood, which right now there's not an unvaccinated blood bank. Yeah. But you do need to understand that um, the, the blood paradigm is that if the doctor says, I need, a, need blood, I just do it. Well, our body can survive without the need. You know, we can reduce the amount of blood substantially before we need a vaccinated blood um, transfusion. So you first, you again, have to change your paradigm. Um, if, you have, if you have elective surgery where you know you're going to need blood, you can plan for that. You can donate your own blood. Uh, so I have all that detail on, under the urgent tab on Grace's website. Yeah, so uh, I'll look that up um, because I think having the forms of what, you know, proper forms for medical. Yeah. Um, and then you made a good point about the unvaccinated blood banks. Um, my only fear is that even if, so I think you can put in a directive that you only want unvaccinated blood transfusions. Absolutely. That can doctors, be would the, doctors, would the doctors even follow that? Because I've heard cases where they just ignore that and they say, oh, well, we never got the unvaccinated blood. Which that becomes the next level. And the final thing that I would say relative to preparation, you have to have an advocate. Yeah. Period. There's no way you can do this without an advocate. And especially with the car accident scenario. So, you you know, we have, um, again, all these links. So the links to the forms, unvaccinated blood and advocacy are under the urgent tab because it's urgent. Uh, so uh, Laura Bartlett and um, Greta Crawford have started the hospital hostage. And, you know, they're accessible in those situations. And physically, you need to have somebody who you trust that can be the lifeline while you're there. You have to have a physical advocate in the room. They need to be able to be in contact with somebody who can talk the lingo. And then you got to realize at this point, you're, you're demanding informed consent yeah. on everything. And right. if the hospital chooses to not do that, or the individual doctor chooses to not do that, you fire the doctor, fire the hospital. You you have to get transferred to somebody who will obey your your wishes. Your life depends on this. This isn't a joke. This isn't the time to be nice. Uh, it isn't. It it is that serious. So I mean, that is a fantastic question, Seema. Uh, I hope people heed the warning that I'm telling them because it is real. Yeah, definitely. And that's why we're doing all this podcast stuff. Um, so one of the things that I think would be a great idea if somebody takes up on it is to actually have uh, a single source of networks where you can find, uh, in wherever in your area, the unvaccinated blood banks, uh, advocates, uh, clinics that are outside the system, like, and doctors and lawyers, all these things need to come together to protect you know, people, if, if we can't fight the system legally right now, I think eventually that'll change because more people are going to be damaged and hurt. So that that's just a tide right now that we're kind of fighting. Um, but in that paradigm, we still need consolidated information to be able to say, okay, you know, let's say somebody doesn't have an advocate or doesn't, doesn't know anything, but realizes at that moment something is wrong. It should be, you know, he or she should be able to go on a website and say, oh, okay, I can 
get this and this and this. So I think that still needs to happen. I don't know who's going to take that challenge up, but you know, I know that you've done tremendous amount already connecting all the people and dots already. Um, but let's talk about the standard of care in all of that, uh, the legal lawsuit that was brought up. Did anyone at all talk about that the protocol itself is deadly and wrong and we should not? Like, I, I didn't see that come up anywhere. Well, it came up in the opposite, strangely. Uh, so, no, it didn't come up, but it came up in that one of the Supreme Court justices asked the question, why, what, what are you talking about? How can the patient override the doctor? The doctor has to follow the Hippocratic oath. Yeah. This was from the justice. So when I heard that, I thought, don't these justices have a responsibility to be current with what's going on? Do they honestly don't know that doctors are not following the Hippocratic Oath anymore? Um, so it was strange to me. And then it came up again when the defendant's attorney, the Aurora Hospital attorney, had an opportunity to speak. He got challenged on the hospital standard of care, and he lied. He said the hospital doesn't set the standard of care. The do individual doctor set the standard of care because it's based on the doctor-patient relationship. I mean, it was a complete lie. I was shocked to hear yeah, it. And, and in that point, though, why didn't they say the government set up those protocols? Because these are all coming from infectious diseases. Mandated protocol. It's not something that the hospital or the doctor can say, no, we're not going to do it. They're in fact saying we have to do this. So what's the disconnect there? Well, I think the disconnect is the platform. And I had never watched a Wisconsin Supreme Court case before. And the platform, I would suspect that. So Karen Mueller, who was the attorney, she said that she gave them a two inch binder full of backup. But the platform, uh, it was 60 minutes. And so the plaintiff attorney has 25 minutes, defendant attorney 30 minutes, and then plaintiff attorney five minutes. That's it. So, I mean, there's, and then the judges are constantly interrupting. So you're not really even presenting your case. You know, you say well, a couple of paradigm is wrong because they're doing oral argument. That's, that's how it's all set up for oral argument. So they have to present it. But the, before they even do the oral arguments, they have to write a brief, which means yes. they put question presented to the judge panel. And those questions presented would have disclosed to them, are we talking about standard of care? Who's going to do it? Are we right. talking about the protocols? Are they wrong? So I don't think that was ever brought out in the brief itself for the judges to even consider that question. I think now they were what I saw, and maybe I'm wrong, they were trying to figure out who has that duty of standard of care, right, from the hospital to the government and not to the individual. Like they were trying to establish the standard of care. Was that? Um, that that actually was another rabbit trail in that there was a debate about ivermectin. How can ivermectin even be considered when the uh, CDC and the NIH don't approve it? And, you know, there was some rebuttal with that showing the NIH website does have ivermectin listed. But, but why, why, why should anyone care if NIH or anybody else? Exactly. It doesn't because this is and they really. Um, they got off track there, in my opinion, when I watched it. I think that the case is simple. Is a is a hospital have more rights than the patient right. relative to the patient's right to life and autonomy over his own body? That's it. Yeah, End of that's story. the only way to defeat the governmental protocols. 
strictly right. by having one question and one question only. Do we have a right to our medical autonomy or are we relinquishing that to whoever? It doesn't even matter if it's the government or a corporation or the hospital or the doctors. Once you sign away, are you saying they have the right to make you live or make you die? And it's too bad if it goes the wrong way. Well, I think and the the plaintiff's attorney did a great job in the last five minutes tying it back, trying to, you know, she opened with that, just what you and I are talking about, yeah. just trying to frame the case as one simple thing. And then she closed with that. But all the in-between was, uh, I just saw it as a lot of grandstanding. You know, that's just my, I thought, I, I don't understand this. I don't, you know, this well, is- Well, it's deflection because it's very complex because you're really trying, it's a case against the government, even though it looks yes. like it's in the state court, you're really making case like, okay, do we defy the government and just go our own way? Or, yep. you know, are we going to protect our jobs and livelihoods? So there is going to be an impact, but I'm wondering if this, is this just in Wisconsin right now or is this happening like all over the place? Well, this is a Wisconsin Supreme Court case. Yeah. Um, you know, there are other cases, but there's, there's not a lot of traction yet with cases. And, you know, that also has been set up because if you think about what is the attorney's motivation to take a case, you know, most people don't have money. Right. Yeah. So you don't have the 250,000 to fight your own case. So right. these, these cases are all based on percentages. And so even before COVID, the medical malpractice lobby has limits uh, in most states. There's, there's limits on what the patient's family can get. So right. then, like in Wisconsin, the limit is 750000 So, and then by law, you can't, you know, I, I went through this when I was, was um, researching at the beginning, because I talked with a medical malpractice attorney, he said, Scott, there's, there's only a one in 10 chance of winning, even in slam dunk cases. And he explained that to me, and I got it. And I said, well, how about if I just sign over 100% to you? We don't want any money. So instead of a third, you get 100%. Right. And. He said, you can't do that. By law, you're lim we are limited to what we can take. And right. you know, so they really have handcuffed the ability to bring a lawsuit for justice before COVID. Then you add the layer of extra protection under the PREP Act. And um, you, know, you add that nobody has the money. Uh, there's Well, yeah. that, that's the problem with all these individuals. There's millions of damaged people that can't afford to get an attorney and so you never really hear those things that's why all the major from medium to larger law firms they only take corporates clients you know they're going to represent the government even if sometimes it's a clear-cut case you know that the individual has been damaged by government state or federal but because of uh, like even if you complain to like your local attorney general, they're going to represent the state and right. they will fight for their rights and their protections and the government. So you really are fighting an uphill battle. But I think uh, one of the things that, you know, with the medical system, you got two things going on here. One is that you, you know, as a medical malpractice case against the hospital and the doctors, because you're, you know, you and your family member are wronged and have a wrongful death case. But then the bigger fight really is now, okay, take that away from the medical aspect of it and really go after 
you know, as a constitutional right to right. go and fight the government so you don't have any right in our business to make any decision regarding our health welfare. So is and I, I do realize that, you know, the the attorneys want to be able to have a big check somewhere, you know, whether from contingency or hourly fees. But a lot of these times I think and I don't know these legal statutes that would allow that, but sometimes they are allowed to proceed a case against the government where the government itself, you can um, apply for legal fees through, you know, whatever the award, uh, if you win the case. So it can be done. It's just that I don't see a lot of firms wanting to take on this challenge. Which, I mean, I get it. I mean, they these are, you know, attorneys are um, whatever you think of attorneys. You know, I, I think different of you because you're an attorney, but you're you're <laughs> you're a good one. But I mean, whatever you think right, of attorneys, right. they still it still is a business and it's a for profit business. They can't, you know, people, you know, there's so many. Everybody's a Monday morning quarterback in you know when they talk with me. Why don't you just get you know file a lawsuit, do this. Um, get a law firm to take it on pro bono. I mean, everybody had, I mean, <laughs> it doesn't no, it's work. It doesn't work that way. Yeah, well, because each case, whether it's small or huge, it takes the same amount of time. And it's not like something you can do like, okay, I'll do it for a month and I'm done. It can right. go on years and decades, especially when you got a big suit fight like this where you actually have to go attack it at the source. Um, I do think it will happen at some point because you can't ignore. I think the people are realizing that the hospital is a danger zone. And I know, you know, you mentioned earlier that they're all on the kill shot zone. But, you know, reality is that they still have to face doctors at some point. And I think they realize that, you know, they're, they're putting their life at risk every time they go into one of these institutions. So, I'm hoping that out of all of this, and especially all your work, that maybe there's a way to consolidate some of this information and have people, you know, put out their resources, you know, just a simple way for to contact each other and get that support. I mean, I'm only getting a little bit here and there from all these podcasts. Um, and even me, like I'm, I have to admit, I am afraid to go to any medical system now. You know, I don't. Yeah, you're you're right. This has been something really heavy on my heart for the last uh, month, maybe two months. Is this consolidation? So, I mean, we've when I come across something, I put it on Grace's website, and I try to at least make it accessible. So, like this idea of medical facilities across the country. Well, Jan Markell had a lady that started uh, joined the wedge. So, what that is is it's it's a um, a, a website that when people leave the conventional medical system, they can put their information in. And so I've got that link, join the wedge on Grace's website. So then you go to that, you put in, you know, your state and your city, and then it gives you everybody in your area that has, has submitted their information to that platform. So then you know, okay, these people are out of the system. So then you still get, have to set up the appointment and vet them yourself. But you know, it's too loose right now. Yeah. Uh, and so the reason this is heavy on my heart is because, you know, I've been in this fight now for um, about 13 months. 
we have uh, we have an obscene amount of money in this, and the um, I don't see very many people who are in this. They, it's like they don't believe this is really happening because if you were believe this is really happening, you'd be all in and you don't care about the finances. I just see a lot of the people are involved and it's not about um, really helping our society. It's about something different. So the people on the supposed good side, it's like this, the, you know, as you, you and I have talked about the, the Hegelian dialectic before. It's like, you know, we are wired to look at the lesser of two evils. And so when something uh, comes along that's better than what we have, we lose our ability to discern, you know, these people who are on the good side, are they really on the good side? What's going on here? Um, or are they just part of the counter narrative? So I, it's, it's a very confusing thing to me because, um, you know, there's some genuine, there's some genuine people in this, you, you being one of them that are in this trying to help, but yeah. you, it seems like we can't get any, we don't get a lot of traction. You know, well, I think that's just for now. I think, you know, what you're doing is a ripple that's going to grow into an ocean. So you just have to wait it out because it's very fresh. And the people that are on, you know, so-called the good side, I think the only reason I can think of that is because they have God in their heart. Because you can't murder people if, you know, you're saying that you're a Christian or you, even if you're Muslim or any other faith, you, you can't, if you're following, you know, God, you cannot say to yourself that this is all okay. So those are the resistance that you see coming out because they're like, wait a minute. You know, if you have the Holy Spirit in you, it's going to tell you the truth. And we know right away that this is not a good thing. So we were kind of, I would say I got activated Christian since 2020, even though I've been one for a long time, but it kind of propelled me. So I think the messages are getting out there. People are learning about it. They are aware at some point, but there are blinders for those that, I feel like they're not connected to God anyway, and I have those people. They would never, ever believe anything that we talk about is true. I cannot convince them this is happening. It's only meant for those people that I think God is trying to reach out to them and say, hey, there are resources here. There are people that are talking about this. More people, as they're starting to lose their loved ones, I can't imagine that's going to get ignored at any level. I don't, I don't think, I think the government was trying to do this passively where people would not have noticed, but people are noticing. I So I delved into that because of, you know, the, the biggest research I've done so far is on the Hegelian dialectic. And next week is when I, I'm planning on releasing a paper on it because I think it's, it's finally at that point where I'm comfortable. You, you and I have talked about it, yeah. but think about it this way. So if, so there's esoteric dialectics and exoteric dialectic dialectics. So on an esoteric level, I'm calling that the spiritual Hegelian dialectic. So as an exoteric exercise and potential dialectic, you know, if Satan is orchestrating this thing, which I believe he is, they knew sudden adult death syndrome was going to 
be sold. They're, then they knew people are going to get this. They know people, you know, people are going to wake up. You're, you know, when the person on your left keels over and the person on your right is disabled and the common theme is they took the jab. Okay, you can't hide that. So if that was pre-planned, what, so then that means that the, the jab, the bio, the current bioweapon, if that was pre-planned to be a sacrifice for a bigger and better and faster bioweapon, that fits more into what I think is the esoteric dialectic. Which is what? Which is that Satan wants evil exposed. That's his oh, goal. Yeah. His goal is not to hide evil. It's right. to expose evil for the sole purpose of coming in as an angel of light, the other side of the coin. And so then these things that are happening that we see are all to get us off track from seeing the, the esoteric. Oh, absolutely. And even when I've actually thought that myself today and this week that, you know, becoming part of the truth or movement. So uh, that wasn't my intent. You know, that was, I didn't want to get bogged down with all of this constant exposure of this and that fireworks everywhere. I really started out wanting to talk about the word of God. That was my only intent. And then I got distracted with all these things that are happening. And so I myself think the best way really is to get out of that. You know, yes. it is the both sides are not good. I mean, I think, you know, when you have your individual issues that you got to fight, God will provide a way somehow. But individually, when we're like caught up in this thinking is the right side or the left side or whatever, all this exposure, it's all the same. And, you know, so I, I want to have a different focus moving forward, too. But, you know, you can't really ignore the stuff that's happening like what happened to you and what's happening to others i think that's to me why i cover it because it's still a bigger issue that's going on right now that's what i said from the very beginning i even told you know in 2020 before i even started my podcast i told my mom that genocide has started you know this was in march as soon as i heard them i said genocide has started and i was right about it and now it's more clear to me you know, having investigated all this stuff. Right. Does your mom believe you? No, nobody does. <laughs> so a, a question I have, it's it's somewhat of a technical question, but is the research paper I released last week, I, I had drilled down the Brooke Jackson uh, False Claims Act lawsuit. Yeah. So January 21, Brooke Jackson filed the False Claims Act. She was a former Pfizer employee, became a whistleblower. And she filed this claim saying Pfizer defrauded the government because they didn't provide safety and efficacy data for the vaccine. Pfizer's defense is we didn't have to. We have a contract with the Department of Defense that says we only had to produce a prototype. We weren't even producing a vaccine. On right. October 4th of 2022, the federal government came in behind Pfizer's motion to dismiss and literally reiterated Pfizer's claim. There's no, there's no case here. Okay, yeah. so 
when you see something like that, the reason I'm asking about your mom is because when I see that in black and white, I see what the government wrote in black and white, that this right. is not a vaccine. Is yeah. that enough if somebody sees the government's well, own? It's not enough for any of them because they're brought and raised into the system. I think now there's a little hesitancy, but it doesn't connect with them that they said we will follow the recommendations of like, so you have to be either be awakened to this and where they, you know, they, they always like to label people like us that we're out, outcasts, conspiracy theorists, whatever. So they're not understanding that maybe, you know, that we, we are inclined to speak the truth where they may be inclined to deny the truth. So I, I have to accept it at this point that it's not going to be for everybody. You're not going to convert 100% of American population in the world to say, look, this is not good for you. You're going, they want to kill you. And so you have to reach out. And I think that's what Jesus was doing too. He said, go out and uh, spread the gospel to the world, but it's not going to fall on everybody. It's going to fall on rocks on some and, you know, it's on others is going to grow, but there's some that's going to fall away. So in that sense, we're kind of speaking the reality gospel of our life, you know, that this is going on, but not everybody's going to go in on it. And it's not my job to educate other somebody else to, I mean, I could try to help them to save their lives with information, but ultimately they got to choose, right? So, uh, so what it's would hard. You, I mean, it is it is hard. I mean, this it 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 bothers me because uh, uh, I mean, I, I'm I know it bothers you too. It, oh yeah, because I don't want to live in a corporatized America. To be honest, I don't want to have a live in a system where they're going to decide that I have to take these medications. If I don't, uh, I'm going to be persecuted or not get the care. Or if I go get surgery, I might not wake up this time. Or if I go on employment, I have to do X, Y, and Z, and I can't get that. So all of this stuff is like it's leaving away from you as an individual of autonomy to decide for yourself, like, this is what I want to eat. This is what I want to work. This is what I want care. And yeah. now it's all in the system. Like you plug in, you get a identification, and you got to go X, and Y, and Z. So that's what's coming, and it's going to come faster than people realize that it's we're coming into a biometric digital age where they're going to digitalize everybody. Um, so people are going to have to decide, are they ready for this now where they're all in and we're just like outside that system? Or do we all go in and fight for a little bit longer to protect the freedoms that we're given? And we should be dang lucky that we have a constitutional protections against all these civil liberties where many countries don't even have that. They they have no rights. They just, you know, they're hanging out there living their lives, but they don't realize that if the government wanted to take it all away, they could easily do that. But at least here, the reason why it's taking longer, I think, is because of the barriers of constitutional protections, which they want to get rid of. If people allow it, it will be gone. Right. So... Yeah. Where do we go from, you know, like, what What do you think is actually going to happen with your Wisconsin case? I think they're going to, I mean, they obviously they first chose, they chose to hear it. Uh, so I thought that was a step in the right direction because they didn't have to choose to hear this case. But they had, they do. 
because there's going to be so many complaints. So many people are going to have the same protocol. So they have to kind of uh, release the valve in a way. So saying, we're going to hear your case, but that doesn't mean they're going to decide, you know, for the people. Yeah. It just, the fact that they heard it was, uh, I thought was a positive. Yeah. Uh, they may kick the can. I mean, that is pretty typical. So the opinion might not be black and white the way we expect it to be, either citing for standard of care or citing for individual right. They might, they might throw a twist into it that ends up kicking the can. And so then, um. To be honest, I hope that this goes all the way to the Supreme Court of United States over constitutional protections of, you know, life, liberty, and me medical autonomy. Which that's interesting. So that would mean they're deciding against. And yeah. you know, then the Supreme Court of the United States would hear the case, which would be fantastic. The, the issue that I have with all of this lawsuit business is that the, the cabal operates outside of the rule of law. And so then Absolutely. when you... When you take on these cases, they take a long time. And so then in the interim, what's going on? In the interim, people are losing their lives because the cases take so long to hear. Well, that's why individual cases like yours, uh, you have to proceed and you have to try to be successful, not just for the wrongful death issues, but that uh, you're fighting Again, the same issues, you know, whether you had the right to uh, dictate the care or not, you know. So once cases like your are, if you know, when it's successful, that also sets precedence for everyone else to start filing lawsuits. And that's what's really going to start changing uh, what happens at the upper level. You know, right now, like we, we had like, you know, the last uh, podcast where we had couple other people with the similar protocols so i'm sure there's more of those types oh, of cases. i mean there's so many yeah there's so many more oh i mean it's it hurts your head you know what's interesting though is there's so many more people don't even realize it yeah so if there is a million people murdered been murdered in the hospital you know there's only probably ten thousand people who understand what happened to their loved one uh, because the government used another dialectic so you know they set this up to kill people and then you know you, you get the message hey your loved one died of covid um you know you know we're sorry that that this happened and here's nine thousand dollars to help bury your loved one yeah. so then then you know the person who killed your loved one is now funding the funeral so yeah. it, you know it takes your eye off the ball and you know, so there isn't, you know, there's not a lot of people that that actually understand their loved one was murdered. You know, and then on top of that, you know, do people even want to believe it? And a lot of the people I've talked with that do believe it, then they put their head in the sand because they're either fearful or they can't deal with the records. You know, there's people that got all the records. They can't even look at them yet. Yeah. Which I, I mean, all those factors are in there. So, you know, it's it's way less cases than what you would think. For right. all those reasons. Right. Well, I hope that, I mean, I always said, I'm not saying that it's right thing or the wrong thing, but it does need to be a class action type of case to bring all these people. Because if you fight it individually, let's say, you know, 10,000 cases that are filed, 
oh my God, that's a, like so much distraction legally and it's a mess and it'll take years to resolve it one at a time versus, and they may never even get there. All, all that does is validate the government position that you're just fighting individually to try to get the wrongful death stuff, but then it never addresses why all they died, you know? Right. So having a class action, then that helps the, you know, if, if there's any law firm or attorney wants to be able to do this, they're taking on that burden where the plaintiffs, they don't necessarily have to do all that thinking that they're doing right now, you know, because it'll be under one umbrella where they're all as their numerous plaintiffs. But then they are the one who are fighting on the same uh, legal theories that, you know, will go up to wherever it's going to go. So I think that needs to happen more than anything else. But, you know, having that firm to do that is the most difficult part. Well, I, I agree. I mean, why hasn't anybody stepped forward yet? Yeah, they're, I think yeah. they don't want to bunk the system. One, they don't believe it, like you said. When there's more enough people, and I, your podcast and your work that you're doing, it will reach out to many people. So it may not be today; it could be ten years from now. That, but something will change. You know, well, you're pretty optimistic that we have ten years. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I look at every day as urgent. I mean, it is so urgent. Um, but I mean, I don't know what God's timeline is. You know, that's not what I'm not trying to be a prophet here, but I just look at people are dying. And so, they are just, dying, but God knows that too, right? So, the, He yeah. always has His David and Goliath story somewhere. He's going to bring out people that will do the job for Him. And Ultimately, we're going to be with God anyway, so right. this is just a temporary situation, and that's why I'm thinking like, okay, I see all this evil happening, and I understand it well enough, but then I don't want to get caught up in it where like, if you're not able to do anything, then what does that mean? You know, like you're just wrecking your brain, and I want to have a positive hope that this has got to be, you know, they had their three-year reign already to do yes. all the evil. So right. I now think there has to be a time frame where good is going to come out of it and God is going to turn things around. I always think the Haman moment where, you know, he meant it for evil and then he ended up getting hanged himself. So I have to have faith that that's what's going on. I don't have an inkling yet that we're going to die tomorrow. So that means we all still got to work out our stories, I guess. Well, I I agree with that. I mean, I I know that we there's one of two paths. I mean, that's that we can know yeah. um, if if the nations repent. Um, God has repeated that path over and over and over in the Old Testament, right? So yeah. if that happens, uh, that's fantastic. If they don't, um, then we're moving on to the the end time timeline and you know that just it, it's it's nothing to be fear, fearful of it just right. it's it's factual we do not have control of that um no you know, we can we can do our part we do our part and then you leave it to god that's that's all we can do 
Absolutely. I mean, I'm hoping people will repent. Uh, if not, then I still think God will protect his people from what's coming. But, I mean, what do you think we should be doing? Then? If, if you think that, you know, we're in that, I think we're in the biggest historical moment. I mean, I know that nothing is new under the sun, but I do think this what's happened in the last three years is a major significance in history. <clears throat> so. What should we be doing? Well, the only time it's ever happened in history before, my wife and I were just reading Matthew 24 this morning, and you know, the only time it ever happened in history before was with Noah. You know, so yeah. Noah was obedient. You know, he spent 100 years building an ark. Right. And, you know, so what should we do? I think we need to be building the ark. Right. Uh, what does that look like? You know, that... That's for each individual's relationship with God to show that person what their ark looks like. Uh, you know, ultimately, the ark was just a symbol for, you know, shouting out to the people, you know, this is this is urgent. Right. Which so, is what, why I started to do that. Um, and I want to continue to do that, that it's time to get in the ark and stop all the distractions and stuff. And I pray that all people listening anywhere that, you know, that they will repent and maybe there will be a turnaround, but only God knows that. So do you have any other <clears throat> thoughts as far as the, like the legal case stuff that you study? Um, I don't have other thoughts. I have a, you know, the big picture. You know, so the big picture is the government crossed the T's and dotted the I's to do everything that they're doing legally. However, that being said, you know, so the Congress started in 1969. They, there's an umpteen laws, including Obamacare, that you can see that they set this up to legally do what they're doing. Okay, so well, the only thing is, I don't think any of it's legal. I agree. So then we override that with what you said earlier. So we have the Constitution. None of these laws are above the Constitution. And so that's what the um, judicial branch of the government is for. And we've got to get cases there. And yet, in, in that same light, we cannot rely on the cases. We have to put our faith and trust um, in the Lord. And a, a pastor who I listened to early on in my walk, his name was Chuck Missler, he said, um, there's two mistakes you can make. And he was talking about, <laughs> so this will really date me, he was talking about Y2K at the time, but the principle applies. So there's two mistakes that we can make relative to this discussion that we're talking about. So let's just say the hospital killing lane or the vaccine lane or, or this whole cabal thing. There's two mistakes that we can make. Number one is failure to plan. And then number two is relying on your preparations. We rely on the finished work of Jesus Christ. Right. So what does that look like? So these lawsuits, I think, yes, I, I think that they're extremely important. But don't put your faith in a lawsuit. Oh, no. Uh, it just becomes a piece. I mean, it is the piece that holds our country together. That was how it was designed. And, 
you know, we we can pray that the justices uh, understand the Constitution, that they're not liberalized or progressive. Um, well, they still have to listen to God in the end. So exactly. their conscience has to bother them if they really, and they're trained, well-trained to understand these issues. So they can't be all that, oh, well, I don't think the hospitals can do this or that. They know. It's just they're probably having to decide, you know, like what the impact is when you're trying to override the government yeah. mandates. Um, so one last thing before um, we finish this out is you mentioned the Hippocratic Oath, that they all have to abide by the oath. What exactly would that be? I don't know if you know that or not. Well, I, I mean, I actually have the Hippocratic Oath on Grace's website and all the violations that the hospital did in Grace's case. But I mean, in simple terms, the Hippocratic Oath is do no harm. And right. the concept behind it is is more important than the words, which is the concept is that it's individual care versus collectivism. And so, you know, if you look at the mechanics of how they work this thing out, the doctors are now licensed by the individual states. The individual states can't can't get enough of the federal money. So now the individual states bow down to the feds because of the money, even though the states should have autonomy. And so then it, what we've seen happen is if doctors buck the status quo, the agenda, then they get their licenses pulled. Well, you know, that's the whole thing was set up. When, why is a doctor even licensed by the state? You know, so well, that's just it. Cause I mean, they controlled everything. They, so it's not even possible for a doctor nowadays. I don't think to be outside the system because they're paid from the insurance companies and they all have their own standards and protocols that they're following. So the administrator, the hospital is just administrator of all these different facets. Yeah, that's that, right. yeah. So the doctor is just like a tiny little dot where you just trying to, you know, that's your face-to-face -face contact. But really, there's a whole beast behind him that has to decide all that stuff. So how does one doctor or any in America, I, I think it's still possible in, you know, other nations that are not so corporatized. But in America, I don't see how doctors can practice independently. I can't go to a clinic and say, you know, I'll just pay you directly for office visits. I don't want insurance, you know, and if you have to do like surgery or something, you know, that's that's where the costs are so high. But you, I don't see any clinic starting in America where they will have a different model for patient care. If you look at, um, so there's one that started in Wausau, Wisconsin. We have it under the resource tab uh, where the, it's it's neat. I mean, he started his own clinic and, you know, it's, it's a, uh, it's a, basically a subscription service. You pay X number of dollars per month and you have unlimited visits. And um, Which is a great thing. I mean, that subscription plan is pretty good. But that means right. he's not taking insurance from... No insurance, right. Oh, so okay. that's a paradigm that people have to get through. Because, you know, if I said to somebody, um, if you got diagnosed with cancer, what would you do? So the first thing they would say is, well, you know, I'd figure out 
uh, you know, radiation and chemo. That's what that's what my doctor's recommending. So I mean, so then you got to get out of that paradigm. So then I said, well, what about a second opinion? Then they would say, well, I don't know if my insurance covers that. You know, so it's all these paradigms have to change. Yeah. In order for us to even get there, I mean. First, what is the reason, you know, so look at Obamacare. Insurance was mandated at the beginning under penalty of law, right? Until that got overridden by the Supreme Court. So why did they mandate it? Well, we shouldn't have, I mean, it's not mandated anymore, but the, as um, Robert Scott Bell, Robert Scott Bell pointed this out very well at the Red Pill Expo. He said, the worst thing a person can have if your goal is your health, is good insurance. Yeah. Can you be without insurance now? Like if you don't want to pay for anything? Yes. You don't have to. There's no law that you have to have insurance. We don't have insurance any anymore. We, we subscribe to um, Christian Health Ministries. So we do pay a monthly amount to that service, but it's not insurance. Is that like um, national, the Christian health? Yes. So anyone can, so what exactly would that do if they were to sign up with them? Um, So like our, for my wife and I, I think it's $450 a month. And so then it says a 500, you have to pay the, any visit, you have to pay the first $500 out of pocket. So then if you have, uh, they don't control where you go or anything like that. And, and you submit. So they cover um, like surgery and emergency care and all that too? Yes. They just don't cover routine things. So, you know, all routine things, eyeglasses, chiropractor, you know, but, people want, people want their insurance to pay everything. Yeah. Well, this, pay, this pays literally nothing. A hundred, it's a hundred percent out of pocket other than catastrophic. Well, I think that would be pretty useful information for U.S. to know that that exists. I didn't know that that something like that exists. I'm kind of caught. Well, let me let me just tell you what the exact name of it is. So I have it here. So it, it's um, and I can give the phone number. So it's Christian okay. Healthcare Ministries. Their phone number is eight hundred seven nine one six two two five. So they're like an independent healthcare subsidized where. It's paid by all the members that sign up, right? Yes, but it's it's legally not insurance. It's, oh. um, it's like a cooperative, I guess you would call it. Okay. Well, that's good to know. I'm actually going to look that up. Well, this was uh, super helpful today to talk about all this stuff. And I might actually look into seeing if there's a way to consolidate all your information and so others can find. Oh, that, that's... That's fantastic. I just, Seema, I sure appreciate you. I mean, it is. Uh, uh, I, you you're are, the one I should be thanking because you're the one who went through all this and sharing all your story and information. I would have never have known until I met you the, how awful all this stuff is. Well, I'm, I'm thankful that God, God opened up the door for us to work together because uh, it's this is a big deal, you know, and the last thing I would say is anybody listening to this, people want to know what can you do? So, I mean, we talked about a lot of things you can do personally, but the the thing that I would tell you, we are accountable to God for our talents. So share this. Every one of you who's listening has at least a hundred contacts on your phone. Send it with a hunt, share this with a hundred contacts. That way we can multiply the reach by a hundred. And it's, it's that important. What we're talking about is is critical. This is is literally we're talking about 
saving lives. This is yeah. this is so big. Yeah. yeah, it's life and death. So at the very least, all you guys can do is share the links to other people. We're not asking for any much more than that right now. So please, please share this video to everyone. We're doing a lot of work. He's doing a lot of work trying to uh, expose all this. And he still has a big fight ahead of him. And I'm trying to do a lot of work because it bothers me. All this stuff really bothers me, and that's why I'm doing it. So at the very least, if you have listened to the podcast, go share it with other people. That's your responsibility that I'm holding you guys to. Uh, well, thank you so much, and I'm hoping to talk to you soon. Uh, keep me updated. I will. Thanks, Seema. Have a good day. Bye. Bye.